Welcome to Empower Half an Hour, a mental health podcast that brings firsthand interviews and testimonies to you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Empower Half an Hour. My name is Brandon Spatz, and I'm your host. Joining us today, we have Mike Beanie. Mike is a world-class keynote speaker, a corporate drumming event facilitator for team building, a podcast host, and the author of several different books, including the best-selling book, Transforming Stigma, How to Become a Mental Wellness Superhero. His expertise and life events have been featured on ABC, NBC, and CBS News. Mike also is the winner of Corporate Livewire's 2022 Innovation and Excellence Award for his work as a Certified Corporate Wellness Specialist. Welcome to the podcast, Mike. Thank you, Brandon, and hello to your listeners out there. We are so glad to have you on today, Mike. Today's episode will be on OCD and perfectionism, among other things. I think it's really important to start off with some definitions. The first definition is on OCD. Obsessive compulsive disorder is a condition in which you have frequent unwanted thoughts and sensations, otherwise known as obsessions, that cause you to perform repetitive behaviors, otherwise known as compulsions. The repetitive behaviors can significantly interfere with social interactions and performing day-to-day tasks. Our next definition is on obsessions. Obsessions are reoccurrent and persistent thoughts, urges, or impulses that are experienced at some time during the disturbance as intrusive and unwanted, and that in most individuals cause marked anxiety or distress. Our final definition is on compulsions. Compulsions are repetitive behaviors, such as hand-washing, ordering, and checking, or mental acts such as praying, counting, and repeating words silently, that the individual feels driven to perform in response to an obsession or according to the rules that must be applied rigidly. Now, Mike, I'd love to get your take on all of this. Well, as you were reading that, it it was a reminder for me that uh, this is this is a very serious thing, and I know we're going to be talking about misconceptions later. But sometimes people throw out this term, "Oh, it's just my OCD," and you know, we we are just we're not even medical professionals. We're just scratching the surface with some basic definitions. And I have lived with this thing my entire life, and it has made life difficult at times in ways that are just confusing to so many people. You know, when for me obsessing, I was thinking actually as you were as you were reading it, it was like I was picturing myself walking down the streets of New York City several years ago and I just could not stay focused on things I needed, just basic living because my obsessing would not stop. It was paralyzing. And uh I just remember how difficult that was and how even nowadays, even though I'm I'm managing it better because it it's not something you can always make go away. You know, a lot of times in our world, we want things to get fixed. You know, if uh, 
you know, you and I both use Riverside to record, right? And if there's an issue with, I don't know, equipment or something, you you go, okay, well, let me Google how to fix it. And I fix it. But when it comes to mental health, it doesn't work that way. And a lot of people who are struggling want a solution. And I think it's important to just bring this up now that when it comes to uh, help and recovery of mental health, what I've learned from my experience, and I'd love to hear yours, is it's not really about getting a solution, but learning how to manage, cope, and live with whatever that means. That's incredibly true. Um, you know, it's it's not even finding the solution because sometimes you just can't. There's not going to be a, a true answer to any problem that your OCD can come up with. And that's one of the things that makes it just so uh, distressing. And um, so, so I'll, I'll share this too, is um, I've had my OCD um, diagnosis since uh, I was 11 years old. And then uh, six years old was the first sign of OCD that I, I could really experience. And over the years, um, because I'm, I'm 27 now, so I've had some, some time to sit on this. And um, I, I think that the thing that works um, to challenge these, these thoughts, these um, parts of our lives that are, are controlled um, by the OCD is discomfort. And, you know, one of the things is that oftentimes we don't like discomfort. We like to stay in our safe zone, our repetitive, um, you know, our, our regular day-to-day -day things. And, and same with compulsion, same with everything with OCD. But by putting ourselves in these distressing situations, nothing, nothing overkill on it, you know, nothing that is going to be too much to handle because that's not productive. So you have to do minor little disturbances to start with and, and more time in that state of mind, it starts to challenge the OCD and it starts to put you in uh, a growth uh, part because um, for example, I, um, I have a lot of things that I, I really just can't do because I give into my OCD a lot of times because, you know, one thing with OCD is we give into it because it's so much work. It's, it's, it's like a full-time job on top of your, your rest of what you do. So it, really having that part and then you're like, okay, at the end of the day, I'm just going to do this compulsion and it beca not because you want to do it because it's the easiest thing to do to stay in that comfort zone. I always like to use the saying, challenge yourself uh, daily and progress will come. And so by doing this, I'll find uh, I have a hard thing with, uh, so I have contamination OCD. And, and by doing things that challenge that, it really puts me in a growth place. And then the next day I'll do the, the, the same thing I did the day before, but I'll, I'll step it up a little bit. So uh, for example, if I'm taking the trash out, I might on day one, just take you know with gloves on and have, have my my barrier in between my hands and and that makes me feel a little safer but maybe by day two i do it without gloves or you know you, you do it gradually to put yourself in a growth part of, of mindset and i think that's that's what you were uh, asking there um in on my take of it yeah i love that you brought that up about growth and you know as you were saying this i'm gonna be totally honest with you here this is like we're not even on the podcast right now, you and me. In one sense, I'm smiling because that's so proactive, right? That's so proactive, uh, starting small, exposing yourself to small little things. And 
I started to get full of anxiety as <laughs> you brought it up. Thinking about certain things in my life that, you know, I, I could do better with that with. And you're right, though. You know, when you do work with it in small steps, it can become manageable. It's not a perfect thing. And sometimes we give into it. I love what you said about it being a full-time job. And I want to explain to people what that means to me who are listening. When you are clinically diagnosed with this or just have been living with it, whether you're diagnosed or not, it requires so much mental effort and energy. It takes over. It becomes full-time. And we live in this world of self-help products where it's like, all you need to do is say some affirmations and focus. And don't get me wrong. I promote some of these products. So like they, they do work for the majority of people. But for those of us with certain conditions like this, this goes so much deeper and is so much more intense than just, oh, I have trouble focusing sometimes. Yeah, that's that's very true. And and especially with a society that is, is based on these self-help um, things, because everyone, you know, when you have a mental health condition, especially with OCD, everyone's going to have an opinion on how you're going to fix this. They all want to help you. They, they think they're doing the best they, they can, which sometimes they are. And, you know, we all need assistance from time to time. But when they promote certain things without doing the the research behind it of thinking, you know, this is going to fix what you have, or this is going to do a lot better, but sometimes it can have a counter effect and actually make obsessions worse. And I've had times where like, I always like to talk about like when I have obsessions that um, you have the, the, the quote unquote normal person that has their, their brain and that when a thought comes in their head, they have this circle and, and you're, you're turning around and then on the bottom of the circle, they have a little hatch that opens and there goes the thought, you know, maybe it goes down two times and lets them think about what they have. But with someone with OCD, this is, it's very much different and the circle doesn't have that hatch on the bottom, but eventually it may have the hatch and the, the thought will, will move out. But your obsessions are so much more and they're so much more distressing because you have this constant circle that, you know, the little dot on there is just circling and circling and that's what makes the anxiety worse and it makes all of our lives just more distressing. And that's really what, what makes OCD so different. It, it makes it an undesirable disorder to have. And when we hear about stigma, you know, people may be talking about, well, you know, I like to claim things, you know, I'm so OCD or, uh, you know, saying like my strength is I have OCD because I have, you know, you know, I've, I've heard someone actually in a job interview say, you know, when they ask what their strengths were and they were talking about that. And, and those comments make so much work for for people that have ocd because you know we're, we're kind of stuck in a situation that it's frustrating because we we see what it does to us we see what it, it can dismantle our lives and then we have the misinformation of t and the, the the common stigmas of people saying all the time which makes it harder and then it makes more work for us to actually educate and i mean we love to educate because you know, that's the only way change can happen. But it's it's one of those things that it's just, I, I, you probably experienced a lot of stigma uh, in your experience. Could you uh, talk about that a bit? Sure. I mean, people just, you, you said it right there. It's like people throw out terms 
And sometimes, you know, it's interesting, just a moment I'm having with you right now. We're both communicators here, right? This is what we're doing, communication. We have to be very intentional in our language or thoughtful as, as best we can. <laughs> and, and, and the thing is, for a lot of us in, in life, we just sometimes talk without thinking about certain small things that we say and how it might affect someone else. You know, another way of seeing OCD that, and I love your thing with the hatch because I definitely don't have a hatch. And I mean, maybe occasionally it comes in, but I don't have a hatch. I, I would watch uh, TV sometimes and you'd see like old movies, what, what would look like in an old movie theater if a, if a camera just kept going and the scene just kept playing. Maybe the, the film got stuck or something. I don't, I don't know how they work. That, that was always uh, OCD to me, just a picture that just kept coming up on a screen nonstop and you just you can't do anything about it you cannot do anything about it no matter you you can try to sleep it doesn't even matter it's, it's just there but there's a lot of stigma attached to it and one of the reasons i think for a lot of this is that mental health challenges are confusing complex and frustrating we don't like things in our world that aren't like that if something happens we want an answer like why does this happen and life doesn't work like that i was um i have a smart car one of those tiny little I don't know. It looks like a little Tykes car. I always tell people I got it because my parents never got me the little Tykes car. So I had to get it as an adult. And so I'm driving it one day in, in, in New York City with my little Shih Tzu. And there was this sound that was like the most obnoxious sound it was making to the point where the dog is looking at me like, this is not good. And I'm like, yeah, this is not good. So I drive the car to a mechanic and he puts up the car on the lift that the mechanics used to look at cars. And about an hour and a half later, he comes back to me and he's like, Sir, I, I can't find anything wrong with it. I got frustrated. What do you mean you can't find anything wrong with it? That's how we as a society don't realize that we sometimes go about problems. And when it comes to something like OCD, sometimes in the spirit of wanting to help someone, because we love them and care about them, we think, oh, all you need to do is this. So just to anyone out there who loves someone who's battling OCD, um, it's important not to provide solutions that actually is going to uh, put a wall between you and the person and, and, and make it more difficult. But however, just doing your best to try to explore it and understand it can be a simple thing, but a loving thing to do. I think that's really a good point when, you, when you're talking about don't provide the reassurance because um, a couple of years back, I actually uh, did two months in uh, residential treatment for OCD and one of the things that they're not allowed to do is provide the reassurance and they know that reassurance is one of the, it can actually be a, a compulsion, you know, reassurance seeking. At some point in that stay, I, a staff member had to redirect me when I asked for reassurance because it, that's not going to be beneficial for uh, in the long run because then once you have that reassurance, next time I'm going that to that same person, I'm going to be like, hey, I need, I, I need that reassurance again. And, you know, it's, it becomes a, a cycle and just feeding that, you know, if you constantly feed, just like, a, you know, if a, you have a stray cat in your neighborhood, you feed it one time, you know, the next time it's going to come back because, you know, it knows where to go. And that's what, it, that's what OCD does when it, when you give it that reassurance, because OCD is so based on uncertainty and, and, you know, that's, that's one of the key characteristics of the, the disorder of OCD is, is certainty. And it's, it's so interesting, like moment of honesty, I have a presentation that I give called 
how to find peace in times of uncertainty. So <laughs> um, I totally, uh, <laughs> I, I, I see both sides of it. And, you know, I, I, I will say this, what's nice about this conversation is the two of us in our own ways have learned some tools to cope with our own OCD. And I just want to say a little bit about mine for a second, because I didn't go into that much. Um, and, and we're going to be going into subtypes too. But for me, um, obsessing, just in and of itself, thoughts that keep coming up, certain rituals that I have to do, that I just have to do, and I can't stop. For many years, it was actually, I could not go into the bathroom in my home without using the toothbrush. So I would actually have to hide toothbrushes on me, and it was so hard. I mean, even now thinking about it, it's like painful. And this was just something that I just wasn't even aware of, that I would pick up a toothbrush and start brushing my teeth all the time. And by the way, you should brush your teeth. But when it goes to a point where it's over the top like that, that's when it becomes problematic. And sometimes you actually need someone else in your life to tell you that. That's the other thing. In our world, we like to do everything in our own head, have the answer. And think about it. We're rewarded for that in school, right? If there's a question, when you raise your hand, you know the answer. It's like, uh, you did good. But the thing is, when it comes to OCD, we start to try to have answers to everything in our own head. And, and sometimes the greatest thing we could do is bring someone else in on that, whatever that means. And that's very, very hard to do as I'm saying it. But that being said, in addition, I've got the hoarding thing that happens sometimes where I'll, I clutter up even things digitally. In my company, we have Google Drive, which many of people use. I was cluttering up all the folders in Google Drive. And one person on my team said to me one day, she said, I have a solution. How about we give you your own little folder that you could just do whatever you want. Nobody will go in and you can just clutter it up. And in one sense, it was like exciting because I was feeding something, right? Going back to your feeding foods. But also it was a reminder that, you know, it really took me to see that, you know, maybe I just need to stay out of Google Drive uh, um, and, and have someone else kind of manage that file stuff because, you know, I, I'm I'm just continuing on with this compulsion to want to clutter up things. So those are some small ways that I go through it, um, you know, when it comes to subtypes. And I think that's, you know, I also um, struggle with the, the file um, hoarding as well, because um, I, it's just so hard to, to get rid of them. And actually I've gotten to the point where like I've made copies of each file and then I have to rename them busy on a computer. It doesn't like when you have multiple files, all with the same name. So I'll do like one, two, three, I have all these variations and some of them get pretty complex. I mean, I've spent hours on, on doing these, but I also have a file, um, in, in my one hard drive that it goes back to elementary school. I should be able to get rid of this at any time, but the OCD has other plans for you. And that's where the, the problem comes in. And, you know, it's, you know, it's, it gets to that point where you might recognize you have a problem, you might not, because, you know, with mental health conditions, there's uh, different uh, levels of awareness with all, you know, all across the board. But it's one of those things that, like, I've had to limit myself a bit with, like, the folders and, and stop signing up for, like, these storage sites. It's, it's one of those things that um, you, you have to kind of adapt because uh, your, your OCD is always adapting. No matter what you do, no matter where you go, it's going to adapt. And I think, you know, because you were talking about uh, different compulsions you've had, and uh, for me, it's like I, I, I have, like, in the house I live in, I, I have all of the compulsions and all my rituals all around me and if i go to a new place more than once then the ocd is like hey 
we got a new place that, to, to go into and um you know maybe about 10 12 times of me going in there one of my compulsions and rituals uh that i have at my house becomes um you know over there too because i have a really big one with faucets and turning them off and uh not too proud of this but you know i've with my ocd I've, I've broken at least six faucets um in like two or three years because of the checking uh, aspect of it so it's one of those things that like in my house we've gotten to the point where like we uh, with with a, a faucet manufacturer that will send you know replacements free so that was a good thing is after six faucets it's, a, it's one of those expensive parts but going into different places with my ocd like attaches to another faucet and another ritual it's it can be scary too because you know the 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 repercussions that can happen you know if i'm in a public bathroom and i break a faucet it's it's definitely not something i want to do i haven't come across it so far but you know ocd adapts to anything and everything and that's what makes it like so complex too because you know you think you can go without uh without it following you but it lives with you no matter where where you go and it's it's so frustrating at times and that's what makes it um you know a, a disorder that just can cause depression too because it's it's one of those things is you never realize until you're there of how far the ocd goes and how far it affects your life and you know, I can remember back to when mine first started, and I was six years old, and I had my first um, experience with emotional contamination, uh, which is a, a subtype. And I met some people when I started like elementary school, and I deemed them contaminated um, because whether it was like them being unkept they looked maybe dirty or or something along those lines and this was something that distressed me for years and and years because one of my compulsions was to avoid them because you know if i accidentally touched them then i would feel contaminated emotionally or even physically and it was one of those things i hated about myself because you know i'm i'm judging someone well my OCD is judging someone, you know, based on certain parts. But I was at that age, I couldn't interact with those people that well because I was always trying to avoid them. But as, as you know, I become more aware and, and understand how to work with my OCD, I've gotten to the place, especially now, where I can be around the people um, that, you know, I deem quote unquote uh, contaminated. But I might just not you know, accidentally, you know, like, like I don't shake hands or, you know, certain things like that. I can still interact where in the past I haven't been able to, but it's one of those things where like, you know, the OCD is, is can actually cause certain um, thoughts that make us feel ashamed of ourselves as well. Oh, ab absolutely. And we all, I mean, in life, I think we all have thoughts that we're ashamed of sometimes. And you know, I really like that you share that because I think it's a reminder that it's important for all of you listening out there to show up for those thoughts that you're ashamed of. They're a part of you. It doesn't make you a bad person. Like we all have all different types of thoughts and emotions, you know, and with this, I just wanted to bring up this because I'm going to step out of the this conversation into another one and come back to it. But in my work, in my company, we're all about self-care and emotional wellness. And 
one of the things that comes up in my self-care workshops in the workplace, get ready, is rituals. The importance of creating a morning ritual, a workday startup ritual. And so rituals are important in life for things. There is actually important part of culture too, right? Certain rituals. And I think it's important to understand though, when they become something that takes over your life and attention, that's when it goes into this problematic zone called obsessive compulsive disorder. There's nothing wrong. We need rituals. You know, one of my favorite rituals that I did during the pandemic, because everyone has pandemic stories, like we're going to be talking about this for years to come. Uh, I was working from home and had to stay here. I couldn't go to airports and fly to speaking engagements. I was stuck at this desk. And one of the rituals that I had to learn how to do is how do I shut off work for the day when it's in my living room? So I realized that I needed to just take my chair at the end of the day and slide it under the desk. That was my ritual. But that was an adaptive ritual because I just did it once. You know, now if I kept coming back every five minutes to make sure it's under the desk, that'd be a different thing. So it's important to understand that I'm sure for all of us, we do have actually adaptive rituals that are healthy for us, but also ones that might be unhealthy. So it's important to just be aware of that. I think that's a good point because um, with with the rituals and then also things we do. So with common stigmas, yeah, we, we've mentioned a couple and um, one was like um, organizing or one was uh, just something along that line that you know people do all the time, but there's there's a big difference when it comes to OCD. Because when a, a quote unquote normal person, yeah, we, we, it's never no one's normal. It's it's one of those things that we're all on a spectrum and in, in, in sorts. But um, I think it's it's quickly easy to say, well, I do these um, rituals of cleaning. Well, that's that's just part of life. But when you start getting those intrusive thoughts. And then, you know, those intrusive thoughts are so, so powerful and it makes you anxious. And then you, and you, then you have to go in and you have to clean. That's when it becomes, you know, more on the OCD um, side because it's easy just to say, well, I also clean a lot or I also organize. Well, do you have the, the thought process that makes your, your overall anxiety level go up? And it's, it's a cycle like we talked about earlier. And I think that's that's what people kind of fail to to see, and 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 just it's easy to judge off of. Well, I also do what this person that's OCD does, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 a very interesting thing, and and there are different subtypes of OCD, so it's not just one one thing. Uh, hoarding is is one that we talked about, right? And that is, I mean, I think there has been. Uh, several shows on television about hoarding, if I'm correct. Um, and sometimes, look, some people have more clutter in their lives than others. But um, something I will share about my hoarding is that it was so bad I had to go to a 12-step program called Clutterers Anonymous because of the level of clutter that I just kept keeping for emotional reasons. So again, sometimes we have little quirks and habits, but when it's taking over your life, it's a whole different Thank you for sharing that. That's really, you know, it's 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 hard to share a lot of times, and, um, you know, with, with hoarding, um, it runs in families too. Um, it has a, uh, a you know higher uh, genetic link to it, and um, really having 
the attachment to different items is is different than regular attachment. It, it's becomes to I, I think you, you mentioned TV shows, and I've actually seen one of them, and and then it shows the emotional response that people with hoarding have, and and it is not just like oh okay well i'm a little distressed it is really really debil- debilitating to the point where they have medical professionals there to de-escalate the person to to get rid of things and i think that's that's one of the things that people might not realize because a lot of times hoarding is kept in secret um i i, I know i've um i've heard of people you know, just staying in their house for extended periods of time and not inviting people into their house because they're ashamed of of what people might think of of hoarding. And, and I think that's you know very important to realize. Yeah, and it brings it brings up a lot of shame. One thing that's a common theme that we're talking about here that I I wanted to address because this comes up with me. And for those of you listening out there, I'd love to know if it's an experience you all have. Is that when my therapist taught me, I mean, over multiple sessions, this wasn't just a one-time thing, that one of the reasons she, she suggested, she didn't give a solution, she suggested to think about that maybe one of the reasons for my obsessing was to soothe uncomfortable emotions. Now, you actually started out this whole conversation talking about the importance of discomfort, but I know for me, to be very honest with you, for most of my life, I've battled uncomfortable emotions that have come up. And I didn't know how to deal with them. In fact, I was terrified by them. So in many ways, my obsessive compulsive disorder or the different manifestations of it became a way to soothe those uncomfortable emotions. I mean, I, I got to be honest with you. Sometimes I, um, I, I have checklist software that is good for productivity. But when I find a need to use it at midnight, just for some reason, for three hours, that's not about productivity at that point. And I have to be honest with myself with that. Yeah, and really recognizing that part. Yeah, because certain tools are great, but they can become an, a compulsion to do it. Like like you were saying at nighttime, there's, you know, your average person would take three hours on, you know, of, of doing a checklist software, but that's the difference. OCD takes longer because it needs more and more, you know, comfort when when you look at it that way and we talked about the 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 um putting yourself in a slightly distressful situation i really want to point out that your first time doing it it's not easy it's something that you're going to have to get used to and because it took me a long time to get in that mindset where i wanted to put myself in discomfort it, it came from a self choice and it's something that you have to assess each time. It's not like if you're having a bad day, I wouldn't recommend it. I wouldn't, you know, find a day where you're able to do it and and really put yourself in that situation. But jumping into it isn't the, the, the best practice. It, it's if you do it and you, you prepare yourself for it, especially... You know, one of the the top uh, treatments for OCD is exposure response therapy, and um, I've done it for 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 several years. And one of the things behind it is, before any exposure happens, your your therapist will set up, you know, a, a lay out everything 
what's going to happen. And then um, you have the exposure and then you have afterwards as well. So it, it's all like planned out, but it's, it's, it's in a, a setting where it, it's safe. It may not feel good. It may not be a pleasant situation for you but it's planned and and that's what's uh, key to keep in mind when we talk about discomfort. Yeah. Well, you know, this makes me think about something else and this comes up a lot. I have a coach. I don't know if I share that with you who helps me with business and career. And my coach talks a lot about standards, maintaining a certain standards. And I actually believe that we need to have standards in life for who you hang out with, for how you spend your time, there has to be standards. Uh, but sometimes that can go in a problematic direction too, where you're almost living in this fantasy world that doesn't doesn't exist. So standards and and perfectionism are part of this too. And that's that's a good point. Uh, you brought up perfectionism. Uh, I'd love to know your take on perfectionism. Uh, if you have any experience with uh, with it. <laughs> well, I I am a recovering perfectionist. In fact, on my on my podcast, Better Mental, our season last season, the theme of the season was control. I love that. Yeah, and and um, basically, my co-host and I realized that we were both control freaks in different ways. During a meeting we were having with each other, and we we're like, "Oh my gosh, we need to do." Uh, a whole season about this and it's been some of our most popular episodes but that being said Brene Brown I think I think the book was The Power of Vulnerability I could be wrong but uh, she she talked about a scenario that I'll never forget that where she talked about a study that was done of very successful people in this world and their different personality traits and the one trait that was missing from the most successful people in the world was perfectionism they didn't have it that hit me really hard because we associate perfectionism with success in different areas of life, even if it's personal success. And it was like almost, it's like stress, stressful to even think about and talk about this with you because for most of my life, I've been a perfectionist, you know, and one of the lessons I'm learning to say over time is good enough. So for example, in my company, we have several books that I've published. We have one that's coming out this summer. And guess what? There's some typos in the book. And my team who you know works with me said, hey, I, I don't know. We ha have a few typos. And I had to reluctantly say, good enough. We'll edit later. And it's so hard to even say that now. But that's something I've had to learn when it comes to perfectionism. Yeah. And, and uh, you mentioned the podcast. And, and uh, so I am, um, this is our first year of podcasting. And I really had a learning experience with my perfectionism because uh, currently I am doing a lot of the editing of each episode. And when you do it long enough, you hear imperfections, imperfections. And I, a couple of times when my, my OCD is up higher, because with OCD, you can go up and down, up and down on how much it affects your life. I think that's important to note. And recently, I, it's been so high for me personally. And I just, I sat there at the computer looking at the audio and I'm like, I can't do this. I'm like, I will sit here and keep this episode unpublished for so long. And then I, I, I at that point, I had to separate myself from it 
and lean on my team, my, my podcast team, because, you know, they might not have OCD and perfectionism and they can help me in that sense to let me know that it is okay to put out something that's not quote unquote perfect because there's no level of, of perfect when you come with a podcast. There's no, you can't have perfect audio. You can't have, uh, you know, everything about it. There's always going to be an imperfection. And, and then it came to the time where like uh, one of my, my therapists, um, he, he told me something and it changed the way I looked at it. And he said, you start the phrase off with, it would be preferable. So looking at, you know, like if I come into him, I'd be like, all right, well, you know, this wasn't working out. It would be preferable if this person did it this way. It would be preferable, you know, if, if everything turned out the way you want it to. And, and it hit me because I'm like, first of all, I hate that phrase. I hate it too. <laughs> I saw with OCD and, you know, it's, it's not one I like, but. With that being said, it's still correct because the the reality with life is is not everything will go your way, and so I you know the, after that the session I had with them I took it and I went to the day where I, I was on, uh, editing audio and I said it would be preferable if this audio was the way I want it to be, and you know I, I said it over and over and over in my head because it takes repetition to do it. And I finally got to that point where I'm like, I'm just going to try it. I'm just going to let it, you know, let it be the way it is. And I'm going to post it. And I sat at that, that button where I, I pressed post for a while. And finally I pressed it and it was out that it was out. It was out of my control. It's, it's on the, the website. It's on, you know, anyone can find it, but I'm the only one that has a slight problem with it. And it's one of those, those things, perfectionism, it's so hard. And there is, you know, I am a professional speaker by trade and um, we actually met through presentation. I did uh, through the miracle clubhouse. One of my memorable experiences speaking and uh, I keep my miracle clubhouse rock actually nearby. So I could look at it kind of grounds me now. It's, it's my new little tool. And, and I'm, no, I'm not obsessing looking at it all the time. I just want to say, <laughs> but you know, one of the questions I got recently from someone as a speaker, she, she was surprised to know that I rehearse my presentations and she said, Mike, you do this all the time. Why would you need to rehearse? Do you want it perfect? And I said, no, the reason I rehearse is for ownership and getting the transitions. And I remember when I did the presentation for Miracle Clubhouse, I, I missed so many points. Oh my gosh. I was for days like, oh, my, you totally forgot this. You totally forgot that. You didn't even show this one slide. And, you know, it was eating away at me, you know, in a way. But I realized that, no, you know, it was good enough. And that's all it needed to be. And even now, still, I have to battle with that. So it, it's a thing for all of us. So in life, again, what I'm learning, and this is a dance I think we're talking about here, this dance between having standards being consistent yet if you have a condition like obsessive compulsive disorder or a subtype having tools to know when that's kicking in and be able to work with it it's a very delicate dance it is and it's 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 one that does not take a short amount of time this is a lifelong thing it's it's you know everyone is on their own track um and and it you it's i, I saw this video not too long ago and it was talking about 
how, you know, one person graduated from college at age 22, one person started a business at age 30, one person, you know, started uh, another company at age 40. And it, it represented that everyone is on their own time zone. And it doesn't matter, you know, if, if another person started what you started at an earlier age, you know, it, it's, it's what we focus on is ourselves and, and how we made our accomplishments. So like with OCD, there's, especially being in treatment, I, I was in for two months and, and there's people making quicker time, um, you know, quicker accomplishments than I was at times and vice versa. So it's one of those things where we have to kind of slow down and put ourselves back on our time zone, our, our little time track that we have. And really, um, it's humbling at times, you know, realizing that just because um, I'm not doing it fast enough, it doesn't make me wrong. It just just means I'm, I'm taking a little bit longer because of different circumstances. Everyone's life is different. And I think that's really a hard thing to learn but like with anything with OCD it takes time it takes commitment it takes you know I mean it's not going to happen if you just you know do one thing a day it's it's a constant a constant battle that uh, we fight and it's it's amazing and there's so many people that have it that we really when we find another person with OCD we click yes yes we do and I want to go back to something you said in, in the beginning of this whole conversation that I think for those of you listening out there, first of all, thank you for listening. If you are listening, growth. Growth is this term that people talk about, books or title, you know, things about growth. But growth is messy. Like growth, is, it's really, it's messy. It's not, it's not pretty. But when it happens, you can look back and be grateful for it. But when you're stuck in the moment of dealing with whatever it is, it's, it's really problematic, you know, and I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'm just going to share this. This is totally one. You can edit this out if you want, but I, I, I said to myself, so you're doing this podcast for like less than a year, right? Is it less than a year? Yep. Well, it'll be, um, next month, it'll be a, a complete year. Okay. Well, well, congratulations. Thank you. Um, I, I, th I think you're doing great. So I've been podcasting since 2016. Okay. And I said to myself, I'm like, I see your studio. I listen to the sound of your stuff. And I'm like, okay, I've been doing this since 2016. So doing this less than a year. I love your sound, by the way, the sound you get out of your episodes. I've listened to several. And and I had to stop myself and say, <laughs> Mike, <laughs> come on now. So congratulations. You are, you're doing a great job with this podcast. I'm really honored to be on it. I really appreciate it. And I have, you know, the, the, the best team behind me on this. And it's one of those things like to get here, I just have to, I, I love research. I, I'm going to, I'm going to put that out there. Um, it, it's one of those things like even with other episodes, um, we've had testimonials and I have several mental health conditions and, and I might interview someone that doesn't, you know, I don't have what they have. So as as my own person, the way I am is, I always want to do the research before an episode, and and I'm not going to have the same understanding as them because that's you know unless I have it, I don't, I can't say I I have what they have, and that's that's important because you know everyone has their own disorders and we all come from a different place. But if I have a baseline 
going into an interview. I think that's that's my thing that I try to do because I try to keep the content um, very honest, very uh, transparent, and really of what happens. Because you know, even with I think it was two months ago, we missed the month of, of uh, actually putting an episode out. And I was real hard on myself. You know, I'm like, this is a month that we had nothing to show for. But then I reminded myself, we also was come, we, we made a website in that month. We also had two other episodes that we were um, recording already and were waiting to put them on. And we had here at the Miracle Clubhouse a, a visit from the governor. And so it was one of those things where like, like, I need to stop what I'm saying right now because like, Yes, we missed the month, but in the same way, we got a lot of stuff done. We, we, we moved forward. And I think that when we talk about podcasting, it's, it's easy for us to get caught up in, well, we have to stay consistent because everything on the internet tells us consistency is key for, you know, having growth. And, and I think that's just like one of those things, like, like me being new to all this, I'm like banging myself up for it. And then I realized, step back for a second. <laughs> So it's really cool seeing that, you know, you've had for, since 2016 and, and, you know, I look forward to working with you in the future too and learning so much from you. And, and that's one of the, the coolest thing is, is people with mental health, people with, you know, even podcasts, you know, we can learn, learn from each other and, and that's what life can bring us. Absolutely. One thing I, I wanted to share, I, I have not shared this ever on any kind of public platform, but I'm going to share it right now. My career started as a drummer. So I'm a professional drummer by trade. And I was doing this event in New York City, setting up my drums. And the drummer who was going to be playing after me was Stevie Wonder's drummer. And uh, Stevie Wonder, for those of you who don't know, is a major pop artist who's had so many hits uh, through the years. And I have always enjoyed Stevie Wonder's music. So I'm intimidated right now because Stevie Wonder's drummer is going to hear me play. So I decided to go up to him and basically just say thank you for the music you created. You know, that's that's all I could really say. And he, he was appreciative and he asked me, he said, what's your favorite song? And I told him one song and he, I'm not going to say which song it was. He, he, he basically said, when I told him what song it was, his eyes just like perked up like this. And he's like, can I tell you the truth about that song? And I'm like, the truth? Okay. And he said, Mike, have you ever like had a situation of recording something and it's just not coming together? And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's the story of my life. And he said, you know, this is Stevie Wonder in the studio with his band, great musicians, world-class musicians. They were having a full day of recording and this song was not coming together. He said that basically they, <laughs> he said, we're going to do it once more. And they said, okay, we're going to run it once more and just go home and, you know, start again tomorrow. And at the end of the song, the bass player falls asleep during the song. Stevie is trying to wake him up. It was a hot mess. But this version of this particular song is the one that's on the radio that we hear today. And he smiled and said, you would be surprised how many hit songs were a hot mess. It just couldn't come together. And that gave me such hope 
<laughs> I think of everything I do, even if I try my best, is a hot mess now. So I, I'm really appreciative that you said that. Yeah, and that's that's a beautiful thing too, because you know, uh, especially like you know when you look at that scale of of music, you know, a lot of people would never know that they 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 think that it's an amazing song, and you know they don't know the backstory to it. I mean, there's so many backstories to like podcasts out there, to music out there, to you know even advocacy. You know, you never know like what's what's behind it. I mean, like especially when you're dealing with mental health disorders, you know. I could be having a horrible day, you know, when I, I, I wake up and then I have to get myself in a mindset, like mindset that I can go into an interview and be like, you know, because I already scheduled it. I'm not going to cancel it. You know, but it depends on, depends on how bad it is. I mean, let's be real. We've had some of those days that, uh, it's just not going to work out, but if I can at least turn myself around, then I think it's it's one of those things that it, it'll be a story because you know it's it's each episode of a podcast has a story and that story is beautiful, right? And and speaking of, I, I just want to say to those of you listening, we want to let you know this is not a perfect episode, and and even right now I'm just making sure I'm where I'm supposed to be in the episode as we're doing it, just hoping hoping that I'm keeping it together. So spoilers. And I think that's, you know, I, I'm doing the same thing. We we both have paper in front of us. Um, because, you know, like before, the, okay, so before this episode, I came up with all of like a, a, a set schedule, like the topics we're covering and then, um, you know, all, dif all different things. But like the beautiful part about a, an, an interview is if you're having good conversation that is still to the subject of what the goal is, it doesn't matter. You know, you can plan all you want, but if, if you have something that is is pure and it's 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 good, I think it's fine, you know. And so so you're what you're saying is I don't have to ruminate like I am about the outline that I'm looking at right now. I can either confirm or deny. <laughs> I, I don't know if I want to give that reassurance to you. <laughs> And that's one of the things with, with people that have OCD. I, I find that, especially um, being in long-term treatment uh, in the past, we have the best sense of humor in, in terms of like what what happens. And, you know, like it, it's kind of a little bit different than, than some people's sense of humors, but it, it, it makes sense to us in, in, the, in that way. And I think that I, we, I, we actually had, um, so when I was in uh, treatment, it, it became one of those things that like, we had timers for um, for basically um, the exposure therapy to keep track and all that. But I, one of the, the the patients there, she, well, she had a good idea. Let's take all these timers and let's set them to two minutes. And then the next one would be two minutes and 10 seconds. And, and you continue to do that. And then we hit them all over the, the building. <laughs> and then we went into the, the, the main room and sat down while the, all the staff members were. And then two minutes were up and you heard beeping on one side. All right. Well, that's fine. That's just one, one beeper. Well, two minutes, 10 seconds went up. And, you know, like all of this would make sense and is, is just funny to us with OCD. And like, I, you know, it's one of those things like the, the sense of humor is there. It's part of the OCD in my mind because I've met, you know, so many people with OCD and like we all have like that unspoken humor. And that's that's one of the things like I, I think is really cool. Just interacting with other people with OCD. Yes. And I, I love that you did that. 
Yeah. So, and, and, and basically, you know, in, in summary, I, I just wanted to say, um, to, to encourage those of you who are dealing with obsessive compulsive disorder and keep in mind, everyone deals with it differently. So Brandon, you and I have some similarities, but someone else who, who might be talking with us is like, totally doesn't even know what we're talking about. Everyone is unique. And, you know, you talked about before, um, something I just really have to just emphasize doing research, you know, on a guest and stuff, but think about what, what that is. You know, you have an experience with a, a guest is struggling with, so you do all the research so you can come in with a baseline. If you love someone who is struggling with a mental illness, th that right there is the best thing you can do is do the best research that you can so you can come to those conversations with a baseline. It's not going to solve anything for them, but it's going to make it easier. It's going to make it a safer space for that person to talk with you. So that's something I took from you on, you know, the importance of doing that. So if you hear me in the future, talk about <laughs> research, the condition your loved one is struggling with, you know, where I got it from, you know, <laughs> but, you know, that's a, a really good point because, um, when we're talking about families, I think, um, so there, like we've talked about in this episode, there's a lot of stigma uh, out there, a lot of misinformation. Once you do your research, and you have someone that you know that has OCD, I'm challenging you to talk to the people that spread the information. And you know, when you go into it, do not think they're doing it on purpose because the truth of the matter is it's just misinformation. They, they don't know because they haven't done either the research or they haven't met someone with OCD. So don't, don't get mad at them. Don't be going into the conversation all accusatory. Just simply say, hey, where did you, you know, where did you hear this? And, you know, it's it's one of those things where you can then educate and help stop the spread. And just like this episode, it's meant to stop the spread of misinformation because it does damage the people that have OCD. I know, you know, when I first was diagnosed, carrying that around me in school, there's a lot of, you know, uh, teenagers, a lot of, you know, kids that they misuse it and, and it's an ongoing thing, but it can make you feel better when you know that there's work being done um, to stop the spread. And that's the, 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 the best we can do at this point is to work together. It's a, a group effort. One last thing I'd like to talk about is a subtype of OCD involving religious or moral obsessions, otherwise known as scrupulosity. Individuals with scrupulosity are overly concerned that something they thought or did might be a sin or a violation of religious or moral doctrine. They may worry about what their thoughts or their behavior mean about who they are as a person. Common obsessions with scrupulosity may include having fears of committing a sin or doubting what you truly believe or feel. When common compulsions include writing prayers to check if they're done correctly or excessive confession. Over the last few years, I met several people with scrupulosity and I wanted to bring it up because it needs to be talked about just like any other OCD subtype. I encourage you to look into all the different subtypes of OCD because it's important to remember that OCD attaches to anything and everything that is important to us and can be very distressing, especially when OCD attaches to one's religion. 
and it's definitely something that we'll be talking about in a future episode as well. And with that, I just want to say to anyone listening, sometimes when it comes to this topic of religion, spirituality, and mental health, always a sensitive one, and I love that you're going to be addressing this in the future. Sometimes people think when they are living with a mental illness and they also um, have their religious slash spiritual beliefs, that the mental illness is something evil. And I want to just address this right now for anyone who's listening. Mental illness is a condition like any other type of illness. It doesn't make you an evil person. No, it just makes you a human, actually. <laughs> it means you're alive. And so it's important to know that. And nowadays, there are more resources than ever before of from all different faiths and, and different religions that allow you to learn about mental health and mental illness and see how your own faith or religion supports that. So keep that in mind that that if you are struggling with anything like that, uh, it's okay. You're not a bad person. I just wanted to let you know that because that's something that, as you know, uh, people start getting ashamed and feeling bad about themselves and spiraling with that. Very well said. We've talked about some really good topics today, ranging from OCD to perfectionism to stigma attached to the OCD, as well as podcasting. I'd like to thank our guest today, Mike Vini, for taking time out of his day and joining us. For more information on Mike Vini and on Empower Half an Hour, go to our new website, empowerhalfanhour.com. If you would like to be on the podcast, send us an email at empowerhalfanhour at gmail.com. And as always, have a great day, everyone.